1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer.
2: Sex over 50, go and get it.
1: That's the inimitable Dr. Ruth Westheimer. We'll talk about the documentary on her rise to fame as a sex therapist and the dark history she escaped. And helicopters, snowplows and lawnmowers. Not the machines, but styles of parenting. We unpack them all for Mother's Day. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. For the first time, U.S. pharmaceutical companies will have to include the price of prescription drugs in television ads if the cost exceeds $35 a month. The hope is this will drive down drug costs by shaming the industry into being more transparent about skyrocketing drug prices pharma companies spend about four billion dollars a year on tv ads in the states and consumers are told in those commercials to quote ask your doctor without knowing whether the drug costs 50 bucks or fifty thousand. here in canada direct to consumer ads for prescription drugs are against the law excess weight will become the second leading cause of cancer in canada in 20 years unless we take action to reduce the number of people who are overweight and obese. Working with data from 2015, researchers from the University of Calgary found the number of cancer cases caused by excess weight will triple by 2042, rising to more than 21,000. More than 60% of Canadian adults are overweight or obese. Right now, excess weight is the third leading preventable cause of cancer behind tobacco and physical inactivity a toronto war vet has been awarded the highest french order of merit for the military william george carpenter was welcomed as a knight in the french national order of the legion of honor for his involvement in the liberation of france during the second world war this week's ceremony was at kipling acres the seniors residence where he lives
0: Weakness can be despised, or weakness can become the cement of our bonding.
1: That's Jean Vanier, the Canadian champion for people with disabilities who died this week at 90. His charity, L'Arche, helped improve conditions for the developmentally disabled in 38 countries over the past half century. He died in Paris from thyroid cancer. Vanier worked as a Canadian Navy officer and professor before his charity work. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Hello?
3: You're not going to believe this woman. She has a deep German accent, and she talks about sex. And I think we should do something with her.
2: In the early 80s, people did not talk about sexuality.
1: That's a clip from the documentary Ask Dr. Ruth, about the tiny Jewish grandmother who became an unlikely pop culture icon. It's not just about sex. For Westheimer, this was the right time to open up about her past as an orphan of the Holocaust. Interviewing her was a delight.
2: Great to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you. So I understand that you have listeners of a certain age. Yes. (laughs) Okay, I like to talk to them. Okay, I have a book called Sex Over 50. Go and get it.
1: That's something that people just started to talk about very recently. That's very true, because
2: children used to think, my parents don't have sex anymore. They certainly used to think, my grandparents don't have sex. And they should uh, be told that they are mistaken, that older people should get engaged in sex. However... There should be careful. Older people should engage in sex in the mornings. Uh, they should get up, go to the bathroom, have a small breakfast, go back into bed, because the, uh, for the men, it's easier to have an erection in the morning, for a man of a certain age. And uh, it's not true that women don't like to have sex after a good night's sleep. That was a myth that has to be buried. And Older people should make sure that they hug and kiss and hold hands and keep that physical part of their lives together.
1: I got a sense of you reconciling the different parts of your life and the the different stories. I mean, a a heck of a journey.
2: That's a very interesting question because Ryan speaks very well about that, about people knowing me for my public image, for my talking about erections, for my talking about orgasms. But very often they don't know my history. They don't know that I was an orphan of the Holocaust. They don't know that I'm a member of the Museum of Jewish Heritage that right now has an exhibit on Auschwitz. And it's called uh, Not Far Away, Not Long Ago, Not Far Away. I would like everybody to come and see it. And... um, I thought that the time has come uh, to be able to say, look, that's where I came from. These are my personal experiences. Not all of them are in the film. I kept a few for another film. And, uh, <laughs> and um uh, but the time was right for me to say there are people out there who are Holocaust deniers who said it never happened. There are people out there who have Holocaust fatigue. They say it's like the Civil War, don't talk about it anymore. So this film makes a very important point about the early childhood that I had with my parents until the age of 10, successful early childhood that carried all of us who went to uh, the orphanage in Switzerland through the horrible time when we became orphans because the early childhood experiences are so important. There were hundreds of other mothers and uh, grandmothers who accompanied their children to wave goodbye, uh, to go to safety to Switzerland. But it shows it very clearly that they were standing all alone. Since I'm very concerned about loneliness... Older people, like the ones that listen to you, younger people, I think this gives an important message. Let's discuss it.
1: How do you think your experience informed you as a celebrity sex doctor? That was just by chance. I could have been maybe
2: a celebrity in some other areas. I don't know. (laughs) However, I'm very glad that I had the chutzpah, which means the nerve, to take the opportunity To work for Planned Parenthood, to then take the opportunity to be a sex therapist under the uh, um, mentorship of Dr. Helen Singer Kaplan at Cornell Medical Center. So I was lucky that I was interested in family life, because I did not have a family life after the age of 10.
1: How did you come to speak about sexuality in a way that no one else had? Was there any deliberation to it, or that's just the way you were? No. Uh, first of all, I was very well
2: trained. Second, I'm very Jewish, and in the Jewish tradition, sex has never been considered a sin. It always has been considered a mitzvah, a good deed, uh, to be engaged in Friday nights <laughs> from, uh, with, with a husband and a wife, very old-fashioned and, and a square. So I was very interested in that aspect anyway. I was also interested in the aspect of touching, since orphans like me were not touched at, after being sent to a Swiss, a Swiss orphanage. So it all fell together.
1: We see you at Yad Vashem finding out what happened to your parents.
2: I wanted to show how you can find out, because the Nazis uh, kept wonderful... It's really amazing how, with all the things that have happened, how they kept records. I knew some of it, but I wanted to show the other gener- the next generation, how you can go on a computer to find it. And I also wanted to show how terrible it is that next to my mother's name it has the word verschollen, v e r s c h uh, o l l e n, which means disappeared. So that's why I'm so concerned about working for uh, the Museum of Jewish Heritage. We have an exhibit of a freight car that took people to concentration camps. And how terrible it is to have that word that you don't even have a grave for your loved ones. There's an obligation to make a dent in society. I didn't know that dent would be talking about sex all day long.
1: And as open as you are talking about sex, your children in the film say they you don't really talk about your experiences in the war, and that's very common.
2: Right, because I didn't hide it, as my children say in the film, but I also didn't make it a central point of my raising my children.
1: Our motto, as we talk to our demographic, is the best way to keep going is to keep going. You seem to be the epitome of that. Absolutely. Your
2: audience has to know Not to retire, but to rewire. They don't have to be gainfully employed. They can go out and volunteer. Plenty of places to volunteer. Uh, But to keep active is very important. Tell me what a day of yours is like. Uh, You don't want to know. I do, I do. Okay, I don't let anybody call me before 10. I'm teaching at two universities, Columbia University's Teachers College and Hunter College. I go out every night. Um, I go I go to theater, I go to concerts, I go to visit friends. I go out for dinners and but I also make sure that I
1: get a good night's sleep. You're still busy, you're 90 years old.
2: Soon 91 and no intention of retiring. A new book is coming out for uh, the Sex for Dummies has a new chapter for millennials, so all of you grandparents go and buy the book for your grandchildren.
1: Do you have advice for people as they hit the older
2: age? I do have advice to keep busy. First of all, go to the movie. see, ask Dr. Hoth, read some books and um, if you don't have a partner, satisfy yourself.
1: In the heyday, everybody was always watching the same thing. Now it's all very fragmented. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah,
2: because people are watching television by themselves or on social media, there is much more loneliness, which is very sad because the art of conversation is getting lost.
1: That was Dr. Ruth Westheimer. She became famous as a TV sex therapist. She still writes books and teaches university at nearly 91. you are probably enjoying or about to enjoy a special mother's day brunch and chances are the way you raised your kids is different from the way they in turn are raising theirs from helicopter mothers to snow plows and lawnmowers the landscape is changing erica diamond is an entrepreneur and parenting expert
3: so much has evolved over the years more mothers than ever are working out of the home Um, But at the same time, we're seeing that moms are actually spending more time with their kids than ever. I mean, the studies really simply are that their modern parents are spending more time with their kids than their parents, you know, spent with them. And we call this high parent engagement. (laughs) How did that happen? We're making sure that the time we are home is really um, plentiful with our kids because, I don't know, if you remember growing up, I mean, my mom was around, but my friends were like, my, you know, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, but she was at her Mahjong groups, or they didn't kind of pay attention to us the way they do today, and partly some of it is that a working mom guilt, which is, you know, we have more women in the workforce. And so we're making sure that when we're home, we're spending time with our kids. The good news on the burnt-out moms who are trying to give their kids as much time as possible and, of course, working full-time is that the studies show that really it's quality over quantity. So if you're working many hours but you make those... Times with your kids really, um, you know, beautiful reading, really getting involved and actively playing with them, then we're seeing that it's not how much you're around, but it's what you guys do together when you are together.
1: Take us through (laughs) the helicopter, the snowplow, and how kind of one led to another.
3: Helicopter parenting we've heard about for years, but the new kind of rise of parenting, we're saying hello to snowplow parenting. Curling parenting and lawnmower parenting, and that would all make sense to you. A snowplow, a curler, a lawnmower, it's someone who sweeps or pushes or clears the path for their kids to make sure that they don't get any boo-boos. They're the ones correcting the papers before the papers go into the teacher's. And so um, this is obviously creating all sorts of problems, and we've seen one of that problem recently, and, you know, the college scandal is a great example of that. Wow, yes. Um, Right? Isn't that a perfect example? But but going over the times of how, you know, how times have changed, I look back, my mom couldn't track my location. She had no idea the homework that I was doing. I mean, I was independent. I was allowed to make mistakes. No one was clearing my path. Uh, There was no social media. There was no rise of mental health issues, you know, for kids because, you know, parents are just doing everything, and social media is such a big factor in mental health issues in our, in our teens. So I'm not sure what times are better. There's great, you know, there's great positives to you know, parents being around, more and more involved today, but, but I'm not sure. We didn't have parents paying thousands of dollars a year to get tutoring only if a child was really, really struggling. Now parents have tutors to, for the, their kids can go from an 85 to a 95. It's that whole snowplow, hovering, and so social media, of course, we're we're boasting how wonderful our kids are. Um, I think compensating out of guilt again for possibly, you know, being in the workforce, so really trying to feel like we can give our kids everything and maybe compromising or, you know, because of a lack of time that some of us are are missing at home, free-range parenting, which is just that, which is, you know, you got to let your kids go and explore and not hover and back off in order to really raise an independent Motivated human being.
1: Are stay at home moms getting more or the same or less respect? Well,
3: we can, when we're talking about that, we can talk about the rise of feminism, which means, which is kind of dictating that all women should kind of want to work outside the home and that staying at home is somehow the inferior choice. And um, that's why some moms refer to themselves as, you know, quote, unquote, just a stay-at-home mom or, you know, place little importance to the work of raising their kids and creating a beautiful home um, where their family feels safe and happy. But I feel that if a woman chooses to stay at home with her kids, she should be just as proud of that decision and her contribution as if she contributed financially. At the end of the day, what's the upshot of these different
1: parenting styles that change, I guess, with every generation?
3: Playtime has become indoors. And so um, when we grew up, we did board games and, you know, coloring and baking and puzzles. And and my mom kicked me outside to go play outside and go bike riding. So we're battling our kids to get off the screens and get them outside. We have to adapt to the times and society is going to change as we change and evolve. I think it's a matter of keeping things good and positive and healthy in your family. Whatever the trends are that we're seeing in the evolution of screens, I'm trying to keep our family back to, to basic values.
1: That was lifestyle coach and parenting expert, Erica Diamond. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Nimer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide.
0: You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer, Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, Faz Kazi, and Justin Ecock. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.